Hey everyone, this is Ben Chapman. Thank you for listening to Luminous Church Podcast. It's always an honor that you would take time out of your day to listen to us. We hope that you would see Jesus more clearly today and that you would also be inspired to make a difference wherever you find yourself. Enjoy today's sermon and God bless you. Good morning, Luminous. It's good to see you guys this morning. It's great to be here, Pastor Ben and Brandy and Austin and Tori. And we had some dinner with the Friday night with Cecile and her husband, Voltaire, who are elders here. And I met a lot of new people there, and that was wonderful. Um, there's nothing like a Filipino party. You, ain't party. you haven't partied until you've been to a Filipino party, you know. Um, they, make, they make Bible study feel like a party. You show up and I mean, they've made special foods for this. I mean, it's, it's like, you come to my house, you might get coffee, you know. Um, coffee and the Word. We're real spiritual, you know. Um, no, well, it's great to be here this morning, guys. I am so glad to be here. It's been a great week. So my, my oldest son, Omalima, is sitting there in the front row. Omalima, wave at the people real quick. He's, <laughs> he's not a big fan of attention. Um, typically, I would make mommy do it. So this, this, this morning, you can get to do it, champ. Um, we've been traveling, and we were in Dallas Sunday night, Monday night, doing outreaches and training churches and evangelism. Then we were here with you guys in Luminous um, Tuesday night and Wednesday night at a, um, UTSA. Um, God touched some lives at UTSA. It was a special night. It was awesome to be there. Um, and then we went to Mosaic Church, our other nation church in Austin, and did an evangelism training for them. Uh, so it's been a very fruitful week. But this, by far, is the highlight of the week. We love coming to Luminous. It's really special. My wife also loves coming here. Um, we, we don't always get to bring her and the kids here. So we've got five kids. Um, we've got three sons, two daughters. So our sons are the oldest. Omalima is our oldest. He's 11. Then we've got an eight-year-old, a seven-year-old. Then we have a four-year-old and we have a one-year-old that's about to be two. And so the kids now swim and it's homeschooling and it's PDO and so life's a little crazy. So this week, Limo and I hit the road and it's been fun. Love serving. This morning, guys, we want to talk about Who Am I? You guys are kicking off a series as a church called Who Am I? The book that Pastor Ben held up, the, the group material that you guys will be able to discuss in your life groups this, this next couple of weeks is Who Am I? And here's where we see this. We see this in Exodus, I mean, in the beginning of Scripture, the very first um, second book of the Bible, we see this moment where this incredible leader, a guy that's leading millions of people, asks God this question, who am I? Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word today. Thank you for this day. Thank you that you've made this day, that this is a day that you've created for us to live in, for us to worship you in, for us to get to know you in. Lord, I pray that as we came in here today, Father God, with fears, with concerns, with worries, with expectations, God, with a lot of things that demands on our life, a lot of responsibilities on our life, Lord, there's so much, Father, that we have to get done in life, so much we are liable for, Father God. Lord, I pray this morning as we explore this very important topic, who am I? Who do you say we are, Father God, and how that affects our life? Lord, I pray this morning that you would touch all of our lives. God, that we would find out this morning, who am I? Who am I? And that you would speak to our hearts this morning as your children. And we pray this in Jesus' name. And everyone that's spiritual says amen. 
Amen. A lot of spiritual people here. All right. Let's go to our Bibles. Uh, Exodus 3, verse, um, we're going to start reading in verse 10 and through 14. And if you guys would put a timer back up there for me, that would be great because I'm African. I might keep you all here for a couple hours. Um, you know, it just that's, that, that's my little ticket, you know, my Pentecostal ticket to just keep going, you know, and get my sweat rag out and everything. Um, some of you all don't even know what that is. Like, what is that, you know? So uh, that's something people, real anointed preachers, <laughs> carry, and they wipe their sweat off when they get going, you know. So I don't have one of those. Um, I have a half jacket, you know. That helps me catch whatever uh, is happening in my body. Um, all right, Exodus 3, and we're going to read from the ESV, which is, by the way, God's preferred version. Um, everyone that uh, goes to heaven says hallelujah, amen. The English Standard Version. I'm going to start reading in verse 10 to 14. Then we'll jump to Exodus 4, verse 10 to 13, okay? So, and I'm going to comment on a couple of things as we read. So firstly, come, verse 10, Exodus 3. Come, I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. When God speaks to us, he's always calling us to get up from what we're doing and do something else. God's call in our lives causes us to get up and follow him. Come means come follow me. In other words, Moses had to change his posture in life, not just in a moment. We don't just come to church and then go back home to our old lives. When we come to follow God, we actually leave our old lives behind and we start following, pursuing God. God was calling Moses to walk in his kingdom, to walk as a son in God's kingdom. Come. And then he said, I will send you. So now God's saying, I have a plan. God actually has a plan. So when God comes to call us, he's not just saying, come, follow me, and we will find out where we're going. You know, he says, no, come, because I have a plan for your life. And if you came here this morning wondering, what is my purpose in life? Who am I? I'm glad you're here, because I'm trusting by the end of today, you would get to a place where you would understand through Scripture that God's calling you to go with him on his plan and in his purpose for your life, okay? So he says, come, I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. Egypt was representing slavery, okay? These, the, the Israelites have been enslaved at this point for over 400 years. They have been living as slaves. None of us understand what that feels like because we don't have the same context. We've never seen real slavery. We are, we've only read about it in history books. This was legitimate, horrific um, uh, what you call it, um, demeaning slavery. People were suffering, okay? God's people were suffering. Sin destroys us. They were being destroyed by their sin. So they were enslaved to sin, okay? God's about to do something great through Moses. But Moses said to God, who am I? Not like, who am I? Like you forgot his name. He's saying, God, clearly you have the wrong person. Who am I? Like, I'm sure there's other people, right? that I should go to the Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt. Surely there's a better candidate. He said, but I will be with you, and this shall be the sign for you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. Then Moses said to God, if I come to the people of Israel and say to them, the God of, of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, what is his name? What shall, what shall I say to them? And God said to Moses, I am who I am. And, and he said, say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. Now Moses is thinking, okay, wait a second. Firstly, I feel I'm inadequate. I'm insecure. Moses 
was plagued with insecurity, much like we are today. You and I are plagued by insecurity. If we would admit it, if we would be honest, we feel deeply insecure. How many times do you get in a conversation and you just hope you don't say something wrong and someone will see and think you're an idiot, right? Am I allowed to say that? Or you, you, you go somewhere um, to eat with someone of prominence at a restaurant and you uh, tell your, your children or your spouse, hey, let's just, let's just behave well today. Um, at least let's just make them think we're okay because really inside we feel so insecure. In fact, recently my wife and I got to go eat with someone that's consulted presidents before in the White House. Um, this person is really a man of prominence. He's, and I told my wife, I said, no, honey, this is a distinguished man. And <laughs> little did I know what that meant is all of a sudden my wife is in utter inner turmoil. Like, oh my gosh. I said, honey, remember, we're going to go to a nice restaurant. There's going to be four forks on your left, three knives on your right. Which one do you start using? So I'm like literally like in my mind, like, okay, let's just not act like we really eat with our hands at home, you know. Um, let's act distinguished even if we're not. And I remember driving to this dinner feeling so insecure. And I was reminded of my fallible just uh, what you call it, um, finite nature, that all of a sudden in the midst of another human being, by the way, that puts on their clothes like I do and brushes their teeth like I do, I just started feeling really insecure. And afterwards, we left the restaurant and my wife said, how did I do? How did I do, you know? And we just both were like, okay, no, I think we did good, you know? And so what we, we were just trying to cover up our insecurities, you know, this is a special moment, and all of a sudden we feel in awe. And see, Moses, like us, felt so insecure when God called him that he would ask God Almighty, God, who am I? I can't do this. I'm not, I'm not enough. I'm not adequate, God. Surely there's someone else that's more qualified than me. I, can you just leave me alone? How often, especially after we become children of God and we've given our life to Jesus, we are, if we are honest, we're a little nervous about God's call to our, on our lives. We don't, we don't really want to know the fullness of God's plan. We kind of want to know, but we don't really want to know because here's what we know. is God is so magnificent. God is so big, and He is so in control, and God's not insecure like us. When Moses said, what do I tell the people who you are hoping that God somehow, the moment He speaks, would confirm it with lightning and thunder in the background, like, oh, God, the maker of heavens and earth. Moses is feeling so insecure. He's like, man, I'm going to need some help, God, because they'll look at me. And in fact, these people knew me. They know who I was. Who am I? And Moses is, what is he doing? He's looking at what he actually is capable to do, and he realizes, you know what? I'm going to fall short. I'm, I'm inadequate, and Moses is insecure. And you know why Moses felt insecure and inadequate? Because he was. You see, you and I, we are actually unable to fulfill God's call without him helping us. That's what frightens us of the call of God. That's what frightens us of this identity God wants to give us because when God calls us to do something marvelous, I mean, Moses is about to go lead three million people out of slavery. This is you, three, three, three million minimum. I mean, some people estimate as high as six, seven million people, including wives and children and their belongings. I mean, this is no small call. 
And Moses is he's, he's eaten up by his insecurity saying, God, I, have you seen me? I'm having a hard time shepherding sheep. A couple, maybe 50 or 100 sheep at the most. How can I do this? This is impossible, God. And God's not frightened by that. God's not intimidated by that. And you know what? God was not surprised either. God's not surprised by the insecurity that just eats at us. How many times do we feel God calling us to do something and we're like, that's, not, that's, that's, that's stupid. That's not going to happen. In fact, the first time I heard God call me to do something beyond my comfort zone, I was in ministry for a few months. And in fact, I was not even fully in ministry yet. I was building my partnership team to become a missionary right after I retired playing rugby, which that was already a big change in my life is going from being a professional athlete to asking people for partnership to go preach the gospel. It was a little confusing to a lot of people like, wait a second, why are you doing this? And so I was, I was really challenged. And then in this process, I'm already challenged and I'm already feeling, oh my gosh, this is really challenging me. God, this call is not easy. And I'm feeling a little out of my depth here. And I'm not really experienced. I didn't really go to seminary. I'm not quite sure. Maybe aren't there some other people that's better than me at this? I've I'm good at rugby. Just leave me in rugby. Just let me, let me do my thing. And God said, no, in fact, I want you to go to France and start a church through rugby. And I said, okay. And I wrote this down when God spoke to me. I went to my pastors. They said, Ernie, there's no way. You have no experience. You don't know what you're doing. I said, yeah, I thought so. Yeah, good. I felt like I'm off the hook. <laughs> That's what I thought. That's what I said, you know. Problem was, God disagreed. Next day I would pray. A couple of days after I would worship. You know what God talks to me about every day? Every moment I hear from him, he's talking to me about France. He says, I'm taking this nation. You must go. God's telling me to come. Ernie, come. He's calling my name. And I go to my pastors. I said, listen, guys, I know I don't have experience. In fact, I don't even want to go. Can you please tell God to stop talking to me? Can, can I change my address without him knowing? I mean, because when I talk to him, he's talking to me about France and I don't want to go. And you guys are right. I cannot do this. In fact, I'm terrified of what God told me. He said, go reach the athletes and the rugby players and we will plant churches. Come, I will send you. This is the call on our lives. God says, come, I've got a plan for you. I never dreamed up. This was not my dream. My dream was to play professional rugby, get my helicopter's license, buy a couple of helicopters and, my, and a plane, fly around at my own convenience, helping some orphans in Africa whenever it's convenient to me and building some orphanages and helping them find families and live in my beach homes looking at the waves and swimming as much as I want in the ocean, snorkeling and diving. That was my plan. It's simple. Just leave me alone. Leave me, and maybe a couple of horses. That's how I grew up. That's, that, that was my plan. Moses had a plan. You came in here today probably with a plan. And God's calling us into his plan. God called Moses. And what stops us from entering and starting the plan and the purpose of God is that we know inside, man, I'm not enough. I can't do this. This is scary. Why do you think we spend so much money on getting ourselves prepared for a job in college? Some people leave college with hundreds and thousands of dollars of school debt. 
just trying to do everything they can to minimize, minimize the potential failure because they just so badly want to control their lives and they're so scared of the future. And here's what God does. He just doesn't care. He doesn't care about your insecurities. Moses is, is, is saying, God, listen, firstly, who am I? And then how do I tell people who are you and will they even listen? And let's jump to um, uh, Exodus chapter 4 real quick. Then Moses in uh, Exodus 4.10 Moses said to the Lord, oh, my Lord, I'm not eloquent. I'm not eloquent. And so he starts these I am not statements. I am not. I cannot. God. So he's now convincing God Almighty, he who put Moses together, who knitted him together. He says, I am not eloquent either in the past or even since you have spoken to your servant. I am slow of speech and tongue. I sound retarded when I speak, God. I, I don't even sound eloquent. I sound like I'm fumbling over my words. I, God, I can't do this. Mo, you know what Moses is feeling? He's feeling anxiety. The brother's probably shaking on the floor. Like, oh my gosh, God, this is, this is terrible. Like, Moses is not excited about his call because his flesh is in opposition to God's will. Our flesh opposes the will of God. Our flesh does not want to yield to the will of God. But thank God when we become born again and sons and daughters of God and His Spirit now inhabits us, it gives us the ability to rise up above the flesh and live by the Spirit. Moses is having this battle. I know we all know what this battle feels like. And it, you might be in this battle or you've already given in and now you're walking in this battle. And it didn't end there. When God called Moses, it didn't stop. It continued. <laughs> this is intense. Moses' big question is, my goodness, God, who am I? I can't do this. You know what? There's so much destiny. There's so many lives that's going to be changed through people just in this room. If we would just not be focused on who am I and start asking, who are you in me? What's possible when you come and live inside of me? With us, there's so many limitations. All of us are so inadequate. You know what we do? We hide our insecurity in pride. You know that? As humans, we show you this. There's typically two ways we hide our insecurities. We hide it. We, we all feel inadequate. We all feel painfully inadequate. But here's what we do. We pretend. We pretend like it's not there. Sometimes you'll meet the most boisterous, the most outgoing, the loudest, the most uh, maybe socially impressive person in the world. And he'll be working the room or she'll be working the room. And, and, and when you talk to them, you think, oh, my gosh. I mean, if confidence can be embodied, it's this person. And then all, what you don't know is that all that is is a cover-up for the insecurity that's eating at them on the inside. I see this in my life. I've seen this in other people's lives. And typically as humans, we cover up our insecurity with either pride or with rejection. We either say this. This is what pride sounds like. I'll show you I'm good enough. I'll be the best. I don't need any help. I can do this by myself. I mean, remember those moments where someone doubted you and you thought, I can do this, and you all of a sudden something rises up inside of you. It's called the flesh. It's not the Spirit of God. It's the flesh. And I can do this. And you start really overestimating yourself. And oftentimes you realize, oh, my gosh, I think they were right. I can do it. And then what happens? Now the option is rejection. And we think, 
You know, I, this is what rejection sounds like. I'm not good enough. I'll never be good enough. Nobody will help me. And we start just living in this self-pity party complexion where it's just you, your alter ego, and yourself just feeling bad for yourself. And neither pride nor rejection moves you forward on the call of God in your life. Pride will not help you really find out who you are. It's a cover-up. Nor will rejection, hating on yourself and belittling yourself help you. That's not the way God calls us to respond. God didn't want Moses to act like he can do it. God didn't say, Moses, just pretend. Fake it till you make it. He didn't say that. God wanted to show Moses that if Moses would let God, if he would let God come be in charge and take control of his life, that they will literally change the world and history as we know it. And so did they. But it was a process. It was a process. This morning, I believe, with all my heart, as I was preparing for this morning, God wanted to come and speak to us. And he wants to answer this question in your heart. Who am I? Who am I that God would choose me? God didn't choose Moses because he was so gifted in communication. Moses, from what we understand, was a fairly ordinary person. In fact, Moses was raised not even by his own family. He was adopted by the Pharaoh's family. Moses was not the best candidate, but God chose him. You might sit here thinking, I don't know if God can do much through me. I don't know if I offer much. In fact, I don't think I offer that much. You know what? That's the great place to start because you know what that really is? It's true. We don't have that much to offer. That's why it requires humility to walk in the purposes of God. It requires us to literally die to ourselves and accept His call to our lives and walk it out. I remember when God called me into ministry. I was mortified. I mean, to say scared would be an understatement. To say mortified is not an hyperbole. I was deeply terrified of full-time ministry. My whole life was going in a very different direction. When God called me and said, come, Ernie, I want to send you to go preach the gospel, I had a thousand reasons why that was not a good idea. When God spoke to me and said, Ernie, Katie is your wife, an American girl. I'm a South African, Afrikaans person. The only time I spoke English was in self-defense, was my li- when my life was in danger. And I was only about 40% fluent. And here all of a sudden he says, oh, by the way, that girl you just met, she's your wife. Now all the guys are like, I like that. I got it vetted, okay. I went to multiple counselors, guys, young men especially. That's not prescribing the way to go and find your wife. You know, you might get slapped. (laughs) Don't do that. It's bad. God spoke to me. He said, Ernie, that's your wife. And, and I literally, I said, God, one, first and foremost, if you know anything about my wife, she's six foot tall, okay? I'm six foot on the dot. She's actually five foot 11 and three quarters, to be honest, you know? Now, when someone that's five foot 11 and three quarters wears heels and her husband just happens to be six foot, you know what happens? Her husband fits underneath her shoulder. And I... I mean, as petty as this sounds, this is how insecure I was. I told God one day, I said, man, God, this is weird. I can't even put my arm around her because it, it's awkward. And, and I just feel intimidated because I'm supposed to be the man and stronger and bigger and, and all these things. And my wife is about 100 pounds lighter than I am, but she's as tall as I am. 
I was insecure. I was just, the, she speaks English. And you know, if you come from Africa and you start meeting people from America, initially it's very intimidating. I mean, if you come from a first world nation, just the fact that you're American, it's got this, like this, you know, it's like Mufasa, you know, feel, feel to it. You know, it's like Scar is like, oh my gosh, you know, let me just go cower away. You have the X factor just merely being from America. I was so intimidated by the fact that my, that my future wife's family is going to be American. Her dad is one of the big teachers in our movement. I mean, I literally thought that I'm going to become completely transcendent when he meets me. And he's going to see all the sin I've ever done in my whole of history. In fact, he was going to see what my grandma and grandpa did when they sinned. I was mortified. I felt so inadequate. I felt so insecure when God called me. But you know what? God never stopped. Our insecurities does not stop God. Here's, here's the thesis, here's the big takeaway for today that, that we want to explore through Scripture in the next couple of minutes. God doesn't work around our insecurities, or He doesn't just do that. He actually works through them. All of us are having insecurities. All of us feel inadequate. I have talking to my Filipino friends, and one of the questions one of them said is, man, I'm Filipino, and I feel called to reach Americans, and sometimes I feel there's this cultural barrier, and I feel a little inadequate. I feel, I, feel, I feel nervous. I'm confident with my Filipino friends, but I'm not as confident with, my, uh, with, 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 with American friends that's, you know, from a specific background. All of us somehow feel intimidated. God might call some of you guys to reach politicians and influential leaders, and God's calling you to walk in very influential places in life, but you're thinking, you know what, I'm inadequate. You know what, that is true. You can do this. In, in fact, when God called me to marry Katie, my biggest insecurity was whether we would have a good marriage. I, I was so scared of marriage. I was so insecure. What if Katie doesn't like me anymore after a few years? What if I don't like her anymore after a few years? What if we fall out of love and these insecurities just plague me? But it didn't stop the will of God. Our insecurities doesn't stop God's will. Nor will it ever change God's will. God's will was established before we even existed. God is sovereign over his creation and God has a plan. Tap your neighbor and say, God has a plan. Now tap your neighbor back and say, yes, for your life. God has a plan for your life. God had a plan for Moses' life, and here's the key to being a Christian, a follower of Christ. Christianity starts literally when we get to a place and we say, you know what? I have been creating my own plan and been following it, and now I'm realizing that God wants to save me. But for me to become born again means I'm willingly agreeing to live His plan in His kingdom. I'm leaving the darkness of the kingdom of darkness and I'm now transitioning and walking into the kingdom of light where God is king and he has a plan and I'm going to become a functioning member of his kingdom. I started walking in his kingdom. God has a plan. He had a plan for Moses and Moses' insecurities was trying to prevent him but Moses ended up walking with Jesus, didn't he? When we feel insecurities rise up, and maybe for a moment it deters us and we get stuck in them. And we feel like, man, and you start beating up on yourself. Just remember, many great men before you of faith that you read about in the Bible, they had their own insecurities. 
they had their moments of contemplation with God saying, God, I don't think this is your plan. But eventually they what? They yielded to God's plan. They said, okay, God, I know these insecurities. I'm aware that I can do this. Now would you please do this? Let me, let me, let me make four points. And I think this is going to help us become anchored. As Christians, we don't want to live our lives being tossed back and forth. I mean, it's so easy for us. And insecurities, well, I think I can do it. Pride, no, I can't. Rejection. And what, 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 what do we become? These wishy-washy, back and forward, back and forth Christians. That then we have hope. Oh, we have no hope. Oh, then we have hope. Then, I mean, you just look at the political climate for one day and people's responses. Oh, my gosh. Then we're full of hope. Oh, gosh, this is terrible. No hope, Right. We just look at life so much. I mean, if we look to life and the climate around us, not the actual temperature, the, the climate of the world, the moral the events and the things that's happening around us, we will have no hope. We'll be unhinged, unanchored. And as believers, our God is not changing with the currents of culture. Our God's the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. And by the way, our God is in full control of all of His creation. Therefore, if we are anchored in Him, there's this peace and security that comes over us that's not of this world. The thing I, I'm most grateful for as a believer is there's no greater pleasure in my life than knowing God. There's nothing I enjoy more than simply just knowing Him, just being a child of God. It's so steady. It's so stable. It's so fulfilling. I love my wife. I would marry Katie over and over and over again. She is phenomenal. But my, the greatest pleasure of my life is not my wife. It's not my marriage it's not my children. I love every one of my kids. I'm so grateful for them. I love every bit of them. I can't wait to see the other four later this afternoon. I can't wait. But the greatest pleasure we have and privilege we have as, as human beings is not anything other than knowing God and walking with Him. And here's what we do. Here's four keys that helps us to really become more secure and less wishy-washy. The first thing is do not put your identity in anything that can sustain it. We are so quick as humans to say, you know, you speak to a young guy or a young girl and you ask them, what do they want to do? And the first thing they either say is, I want to be rich or I want to get married, depending on who you speak to, right? The guys want a specific car, a specific house. They're looking for something that makes them feel validated as young men. You look to girls and they say, oh, I just, I just want to get married and have kids. And they feel validated by way of marriage and having a spouse and building a family. Are those things bad? Absolutely not. That's, those things aren't bad. But when they become your identity, when that is what you want to get anchored in, you're in trouble. When parents, as a parent, we've got five kids. You know, when you're a pastor, you really want your kids to behave well. Uh, especially in church, lots of like pinching and threatening going on with a smile. Like, hey, if you don't start listening right now, when you get home, you're going to eat broccoli for seven days and get a whooping. <laughs> There's all this pressure, but how often do we correct our kids? Because I'm so nervous what other people will think about them. Because what if they think less of me because now my children have become my identity? 
my children do not perform as well in sports as I want them to. And all of a sudden, I feel left out as a parent among some other parents. And now I'm frustrated with my child because they're not living up to my expectations. Because do they not understand that a part of my identity is rooted in them? I'm vicariously living through them. It's so easy. Finances. We, we, we look and feel secure and our identity is rooted in the size of our 401k. In fact, a lot of us probably are disobeying God's call in our lives at some point in life, either right now or we have or we will at some point really contemplate because of the socioeconomic impact of God's will. What if I, I, I would have to give up my, my position, my prominent position in corporate America and, and go do something for God that isn't as prominent and all of a sudden I realize Man, my identity was in my career and in finances. If you want to live a life and really fully understand who you are, who am I, as Moses said, who am I? You are not your career. You are not your marriage. You are not your children. Like none of these things identify you. you that's not primarily who you are. You primarily, in God's eyes, are his son or his daughter. You are an ambassador of God Almighty having a relationship with the living king of the universe. And when you show up, heaven comes down. The kingdom of God is now near. You don't make decisions like the world. You don't make choices like the world. You don't filter the same way because your heart is not wired the same way anymore. And when insecurity comes... When we feel, man, my goodness, I'm so insecure, I'm feeling so threatened, I'm, I'm, I'm wondering what people think of me, then we are reminded, wait a second, I'm not anchored in that. I'm anchored in Him. God wants you and I to be anchored. He wants our anchor to be anchored completely on solid ground, on the rock, our salvation, Jesus Christ. And when the expectations and currents of the world pushes and shoves us, our identity doesn't change because He's still is who we, who, who we identify with. I am a child of God. That's who I am. If you want to know who I really am, am I a pastor? Not primarily. Am I a dad? Not primarily. Am I a husband? Not primarily. Who am I? I am a child of the living God. I am born again. I am rescued. I am redeemed. I am favored by Him because He calls me His own. His blood purchased my sin and rescued my soul. And for all eternity, I will be with Him and know Him and represent Him. That's who I am. Now, do I have a career? Yes. Do I have a wife? Yes. Do I have children? But that is not my identity. I am free to not make decisions based on what people think about me because I am a child of God. That's who I am. That's who God wants us to be. And when we start living our life this way, it's unbelievable. When I became a missionary, my family wasn't exactly like standing and clapping their hands. My dad wasn't very proud of the fact that I'm now sitting and asking people for money that just a couple months ago asked me for my autograph. Because my identity, even in my parents' lives, was wrapped up in my performance and my career as an athlete. But when Jesus rescued me and I became a child of God, His power started working in me and I started realizing who I am. I didn't need rugby anymore. It wasn't the basis of my life anymore. It wasn't my foundation anymore because it was unstable to start with. 
It left me at 19 before I gave my life to Jesus, wanting to kill myself. It's unstable. Listen, anything that's not Jesus that becomes your identity will, le will leave you in the dark. It will fail you. Men and women have troubles in their marriages. I mean, we work, my wife and I love working with marriages. Marriages, young marriages, old marriages. We've got people in our Bible study that's been married for a long time and people that just got married and people that just got married yesterday, literally. We love walking with people in marriage. But it's unbelievable how in marriage we see how easy it is for people to attach their identity to someone else. And here's how you see it. A guy's coming home from work. He had a great day. Life's good. Man, he just knocked out some goals. He hit some performance uh, goals. And he even maybe got a little bonus or raise. And his manager's happy with him or whatever. And he comes home super on top, fully excited. But his identity is in his career, right? Or it's in his marriage, in his spouse. And he gets in the house. He closes the garage door. He opens the kitchen door. His wife is not having a good day. And she has been waiting for him to get home all day to tell him just how unhappy she is. And the moment he opens that kitchen door, I mean, he literally just came in the garage door. He walks in the kitchen door with a good attitude, feeling on top of the world. And all of a sudden, boom, his wife lets him know what she thinks. And he's like, oh, my gosh. And just, boom, nuclear explosion. <laughs> Big argument. Anyone ever been there before? You walk in happy and you get there and you're like, oh my gosh, this is an explosion that went off here. Why, what happens? Because I want my wife to act the way I want her to act, to feel because my identity is tied to how she responds and receives me or he responds and receives the things I receive. We are so quickly unhinged by someone else or something else. Or you have a great day as, as a, on, a, on a family outing and all of a sudden one of your kids just acts out crazy. And you lose it. Oh, my gosh. And you get home and you slam the door. I can't believe you. You just ruined the whole day. Why? Because you want your kid to act a way that you need them to act so your identity is not threatened. It's not about them having room and space in their life to grow and mature. And all of a sudden, everything ends because your identity is not in Him. You are not anchored in Christ. You go to work happy and one of your colleagues freaks out and says things about you. And all of a sudden, you lose your testimony. I mean, gosh, you know, people say, man, I almost lost my witness today. Some people actually lose it. And you freak out and you lose it and you go off. Why? Why did this person's actions unhinge you? Because maybe you're not fully anchored. Our insecurities covers up the fact that so often we live in pride or we live in rejection, but here's where we God wants us to live. He wants us to live in Him and remain in Him. He wants us to be anchored. Who am I? I am a child of God. Who am I? I am a child of God. I've been redeemed. I want to end on this. Here's what a lot of times, firstly, we have to, we've got to put our identity in Jesus. Secondly, we've got to lean into our weakness to leverage more of God's strength. Paul said this in 2 Corinthians 12 verse 9. He said, it's for when I am weak, his power is made perfect. When I am weak. No, he didn't say God spoke to Paul. He said, listen, for when, when you are weak, I am made strong. And what, what hinders us from doing things that's tough from doing things, when, what, what, what tried to prevent me from marrying my wife and wanted me to opt out from getting married to Katie is because in the past, in my own strength, I've never been faithful and I've never been satisfied. 
and it wanted my insecurities wanted to stop me from following God's call on my life. What wanted to prevent me from being a missionary and serving Jesus and, and preaching the gospel and not being and leaving the professional sports world was my insecurity. I, I wanted to stay strong. I wanted to stay in a place where I have security. I have safety. I can accomplish things. And God was calling me to a place where he could be strong in me. Where my weakness can be real and I can become self-aware and say, you know what? I'm not nearly as strong as I think I am. In fact, I don't even know if I have that much to offer. And all of a sudden, the strength of God is revealed in my weakness. Listen, I mean, so much of our lives in obedience to God's call in our lives is about us learning how to get comfortable in our weaknesses, knowing that that's when God's strength really gets illuminated. That's where people see the strength and the might and the glory and the majesty of God Almighty when ordinary people start living extraordinary lives and they realize, man, this person is not capable. I remember friends looking at me that knew me before Jesus in my BC days. They said, Ernie, what happened? What happened to you? Their minds could not process what happened. They remember Ernie. And now they see me. I mean, I can't tell you how many people has come to know Christ just simply by seeing the, the change in my life. They saw the unfaithful, uncommitted, selfish earning. And all of a sudden, God calls me. And thankfully, I respond. And God's, God's glory and strength becomes displayed in my weakness. I, no one thought I would be married to someone for more than a year. No one thought I would be a father and stay with my kids. No one thought I would actually go and serve other people because my whole life was the opposite. But God comes and he takes our weaknesses and he makes it our strength. Let's stand together and end this. When God calls us to follow him, all these ideas and reasons why not will come to our minds and We'll find ourselves in this. We'll find ourselves in this conversation with God, where we are contemplating and negotiating. You know, because God is God, which means He's the Creator and the Sustainer of the universe. He, He's got all power. He's got all authority, and He is not limited in His wisdom like we are. He doesn't see just till next week or maybe till tomorrow or maybe till the next year. Maybe you have a, you're a planner and you've planned out the next year and you've got kind of an idea, if all goes well, what the next year will be like. And that's, that's as, as restricted as your vision is. You, and, and, and there's a lot of variables that will happen between now. You'll have to adjust a lot of your plans. God's not like that. He's not limited. He's not nearsighted. He doesn't just see here. God sees... 20, 30, 40 generations from now. God spoke to Abraham and he told him that would happen with him and how many his descendants would be. God was pointing to hundreds of generations down the line. See, when God calls us and says, come, I want to send you. I have a plan for you. Know what he's thinking about? He's thinking about future generations. Our insecurity makes us so myopic. It makes us focus so on the here and the now. And we can't stay there. We've got to surrender ourselves and say, God, because you see everything and you know the future, 
I will trust you even if it doesn't make sense. Moses had to go do something that didn't make any sense. Logically, he murdered someone. They remembered him as a murderer. He ran for his life. And now God's saying, go back. And Moses is feeling so insecure. He's become aware of his limitations as a mere mortal man. But then what happened is he started growing in his understanding as he obeyed God in the greatness of God's power that's now being made strong and seen and becoming visible in his weakness. Let's live our lives allowing our weaknesses to not limit us, but to be a place where God reveals his glory and majesty. Some of us might have to start a group in our home and say, man, I don't think I can do this. I don't think I have all the words and I'm not as cool and you know, I just don't have the nicest house and I don't live in the nicest neighborhood or I don't drive the right car. And I mean, there's so many things that we would make us feel insecure and inadequate. And just like Moses felt inadequate for the call in his life, don't limit yourself. Don't limit God to you. Don't, don't let insecurity eat you up, but allow God to move through your life. Let's close our eyes for a second. I want you to just ponder this for a moment. What are you anchored in? If we ask you, if you ask the question, whom am I? What is the, who am I? What's the, what's the, what's the loud resounding answer in your soul? Am I just the man that was born to a family in this world and I'm living my life and hoping for the best? Or am I the child of God? Am I walking in the ways of God? Am I responding to God's call to follow Him, to know Him, and to go and work with Him on His plan for my life and go affect generations down the line? I mean, you might sit here thinking, Ernie, I don't have much to offer. I don't, I, honestly, I mean, I don't think that even if I say, yes, God, here am I, my weaknesses are so great I really don't think God can do much through me. You know, Moses had that same list. He literally said, God, I, I can't even speak well. God, I have a bad reputation. God, 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 are oh, you not aware? Like as if God didn't see any of that. But God said, no, 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 Moses. Moses, allow me to take control and be God in your life. For God to really live and for us to fully know who we are, who am I, it starts by letting go. Some of us are holding on to our lives so tightly. And we're holding on to our insecurities so tightly. We're unable to see who we are in Christ Jesus. We're unable to experience the fullness of God's call in our lives because we're so, we're so closely, tightly holding on to what we have out of fear and insecurity. And God is saying, let go. Let go. Our identity has been so misplaced because of our insecurity. We've put it in all the wrong things and we know it and it's hurting us. And God is saying, let go. Just let go. You're saying, Pastor Ernie, I have struggled to let go because of my fear. But this morning I'm ready. I'm ready to let go, and I want God to take charge. I want to follow God. I want to trust God. I want to let God's strength be made known in my weakness. I want Him to live through me and in me. Just put your hand up for a second. 
Just put those hands up. I see them. Put, put your hands up high. I say, God, this my hands going up means I'm letting go. I'm surrendering to God. I'm letting it go. I'm letting God come and fulfill His will for my life. It might be unexpected. It might scare you, and it should. But it will drive you to Him and saying, you know what? I can't do this without Him. I can't do this apart from Him. And you'll grab a hold of Him, and He'll grab a hold of you. And you will look back and think, thank God. I've seen things I never thought I would see. When God called Moses, He never thought He would see a whole ocean open up in front of Him. He never thought that he would hit a rock with a little stick and all of a sudden water would flow out of it. He never thought that he would lead millions of people and, and give way for the Savior to be born. That is now the reason we are standing here. Moses couldn't see it, but he said, God, I want to obey you and I want to let you be God because you are almighty. You are the sovereign God. You see the beginning and you see the end. And you, when you say, God, I'm letting go and letting you take charge, God, and I want you to show me and, and establish me in you and my identity to be in you. Here's what's going to happen. Your decision will affect generations. 30 generations from now will be affected by your decision to let God be God in your life. Letting go is the best decision and the most selfless decision, the most loving decision that a human being could ever make because now the creator of the universe that knows the beginning from the end can rule and reign and use you mightily so your life can affect generations to come. Your great-great-grandchildren will talk about your faith and say, I had a grandma. I had a great, great, great grandpa that surrendered their life to Jesus and God started living in them and through them. And they accepted the call of God. And now here I am seeing the world change because it started with them. Losing your life is truly where you find it. It's where you find God. Let's pray this prayer together. Father, today I lose my life that I might find it in you that I might be free, liberated from false identities, from idols, idol of family, the idol of my career, the idol of children even. Jesus, I put my identity in you and in you alone. I am a child of God. I am a son. I am a daughter of the most living God. There's no one like you. Lord, I allow you to reign in me, to rule in me, to lead me. I am yours. Have your way in me. In Jesus' name.